0: Welcome to a Words Matter podcast, a podcast of FBC Seminary. Welcome to the Words Matter podcast. We're glad to be back with you this week. Uh, last week we really enjoyed our podcast, or two weeks ago with with Rob, but we're kind of back to normal uh, this this podcast. Uh, I'm Josh, and with us uh, I've got. Oh, Nick and Garrett, I'll introduce them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's been so long since Nick's done this, he didn't know what he was supposed to say. Uh, And so we've got uh, Nick and Garrett with us today for our podcast, kind of back to normal. And uh, we've got some great stuff to talk about a conference we went to last week, and I'll let these two talk about that here in a minute. But first, our question of the week. So let's talk Thanksgiving, all right? So we got Thanksgiving coming up. What is your favorite part of the Thanksgiving meal? What's that one dish that you couldn't okay, do Thanksgiving
1: without? I was without? wondering if you were talking about an event or if you're talking about food. No, food. Okay. Cuz that's really the most important part. So what's what's the
0: one food you can't have Thanksgiving without? And we'll skip turkey. We get we get it. We get. Yeah. It. I Turkey's could do without right. turkey. I
2: mean, I'm not a big turkey fan. I mean, but uh, for me it's uh, it's stuffing. Mm. I like stuffing. Are you so
0: are you a stuffing over dressing guy?
2: What do you mean, stuffing over dressing? I don't
0: know the difference,
1: but people call it, say, well, you have to have Didn't dressing. is not dressing stuffing dressing
2: and the I same thing? I have no thing. idea. Yeah, that's where I'm at.
1: I think they're the same thing, and people are bougie just and say call it different not. things. But
2: I don't know. I just heard people call well, it different dressing things. Dressing is like, that'd be like putting ranch on it, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Probably a pretty good
0: turkey with ranch on it.
2: I'm yeah. not lie I know, to we, it. Yeah. we are in America, so I'm surprised. Uh, I do like pumpkin pie, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had pumpkin but pie, it's, this but, but I. My favorite pumpkin pie, it has to have my mom's um, whipped cream. Mm. So my yeah, mom that, makes the best whipped cream. I'm going to agree with you on that. It's pretty good stuff. You've had my mom's whipped cream? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Josh, have you had my mom's whipped cream? I haven't. Well, you're going to. I'm going to uh, get you okay. some of yeah. So
0: we, we set up our Christmas tree Friday, um, uh, and we had pumpkin well, pie. Well, that's that not evening. controversial.
2: No, it's not. I'm not mad about it. Yeah.
0: That's what I told Garrett yeah. when he. When I'm also not mad he, about it. My he, he, wife won't let me put it up. We talked it. on Saturday. We were finishing decoration. He was giving me a hard time. I said, "Listen, the last time I checked, a turkey didn't die for my sins. Let me celebrate my Savior's birth however <laughs> yeah, I neither want." Neither did an right. evergreen, Josh. <laughs> yeah. But it helps to celebrate getting the holiday mood. Yeah. I don't. Oh, I the, really the, don't care. The pagan I'm just tree. The pagan it's uh, tree our uh, only open uh, weekend
2: until December, <laughs> like the middle of December. Yeah. So, I, I used to be a I used to be a uh, seasonal curmudgeon. Where it was like you don't do anything Christmas That's until really after, surprising. Till, mm-hmm, <laughs> till after Thanksgiving. But That's the older I've gotten, is. like I've, I'm still on that Christmas music thing, where I don't do Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Oh, I've I do. already but, started already But I'm down. I have already watched four Hallmark Christmas movies. Gross. Don't judge me.
1: Dude. Hey, I mean, I think your man card should be taken away there's, for that. I, there's
2: men in those movies. <laughs>
1: Typically the bad
0: boyfriend who yep. can't take a break off work because no, the romantic a million-dollar deal. The guy, the guy that right. comes
2: in, whatever. You guys so you mean the, don't in her The baker, her I, Christmas. I, I the baker really from her local hometown that she's <laughs> going to go even, back and see what's going on. Don't even understand they're gonna, Christmas. The two out, families yeah. that are in
1: competition Can our staff Christmas love?
2: party be watching Hallmark movies? Oh, no. No. So,
1: I'll watch no. a claymation special, but this, I won't watch Hallmark This is proof that
2: my man card is legitimately wedged into my wallet, never to be removed, because... I'm totally fine with admitting that Hallmark Christmas movies get you into the into the Christmas mood. Value so, them
1: for what they are. I think that the two favorite things for
2: Thanksgiving for me
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I love uh, what's is it? What's the sweet potato casserole? If you don't know what it right. is, then how are you going to I wanted to say sweet potato pie, but it's not a pie, it's the casserole, sweet potato. That yeah. has the marshmallows on Negative. top. Negative. Oh. It needs to have the pecans on top. No. no. Yes. No. I'm out on the marshmallows, the pecans are again. Squirrels eat changer. pecans, not humans. We don't do
0: marshmallows. We do like a brown sugar and butter topping
2: and then it caramelizes on top. With, peca- also add with pecans them. on, no, on top. Nuts. No, also nuts. with no, the marshmallows. Should. No, we don't do marshmallows either. No. But you got to put you can do all that, not the pecans. You can do all that and then add the marshmallows. Oh, it's so good. I can see the marshmallows, I'm out on the pecans. I don't
1: I just don't know about you guys. The second thing is cherry pie. I love cherry pie. Mm, me too. And I, that's mm-hmm. not really a Thanksgiving thing, but it's just a good excuse to have cherry
0: pie. I had pecan pie for the first time five years ago. That's we had somebody invited our church, like staff, over to eat, and she served us pecan pie. And I was like, "Ew, I don't want to be rude. I have to eat this." And I took a bite, and I was like, "What have I been missing all these years? Like, we haven't had it for thirty
1: years. You're like, this is a revelation. This is so good." So I found out the other day that evidently my mom used to make my dad apricot pies? They're good. Never had one. And I don't understand how she, like, courted my dad with apricot pies, and, and I'm 41 and I've never had one. Well, she's not courting you. She's not courting you. you. <laughs> but why didn't, I mean, you'd think that if he loved them that much that she would have made them.
2: Maybe she only makes them for him. Maybe that's their Hallmark thing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so
0: I remember when I discovered, when I was probably 14 or 15 years old, and I got to stay up late with my brothers and sisters, my parents would eat... After they'd put us to bed. My mom would make monkey bread, cinnamon rolls, all this delicious snack food. And not, and not give it to in you? We were in bed. We had no idea. So once I got to stay up late, I knew we were having late night snacks. I remember that revelation. So maybe mm. they were eating it and you were yeah. just not invited. Yeah.
2: So our, I think our Stillwater friends are wondering why we're still talking about food if they're listening. Yes. Yeah. They're they're slowly judging us. They don't uh, listen. Our banter. No, They're pretentious and arrogant. Yeah. And yeah.
0: I'll say for me that we do what we call giblet gravy. And it's no, it's delicious. Yes, I don't agree. I don't like any of this stuff that's in it on its own. But you mix it with gravy and eggs,
1: I'm in. Just say giblet again. (laughs) Giblet. (laughs) Mmm. Mmm. You probably don't eat chicken livers or gizzards, do you? I like fried chicken liver. I love Mm -hmm. chicken. I mean, gizzards are great. They taste fine, but they're just kind of. I don't
2: think you value the word "great" (laughs) like I do.
0: All right, we could talk about this forever, but we probably need to get into our podcast today. Uh, So last week, last Monday uh, or Tuesday Tuesday, uh, into Wednesday, we were invited to go to a conference over at Oklahoma Baptist University. Uh, Nick registered uh, some of our elders and our staff to be able to go spend the day together. And uh, I got to be there for half the conference, but why don't you guys talk a little bit about that conference and who put it on, what was
2: it, what was the purpose of it? What well, was the first event hosted by the Center for Baptist Renewal? The Center for Baptist Renewal. This is a, I don't know if you call it an organization or a ministry or a theological club. I don't know what you might want to call this, but it's the passion of a few guys, primarily uh, Dr. Emerson, Dr. Uh, Stamps, and a couple of their. Uh, friends, um, Doctor Smith, Doctor Hotman, is it Hotman? Is that how you say his last name or Hotman? I actually don't know th- uh, to the guy. I know Doctor Emerson the most. I know him, I know him best. And uh, the idea behind the Center for Baptist Renewal is not to help Baptists become the best Baptists. That, that's not what it's about. But there are well, I'll just read for you their, their kind of statement is. The Center for Baptist Renewal is a group of Orthodox Evangelical Baptists committed to a retrieval of the great tradition for the renewal of Baptist faith and practice. And they did a, they did a good job of articulating into a room of 70 to 80 people what that really meant. I don't want to rehash all of that because I don't even know that I retained all that Dr. Stamps did to kind of distill that down for all of us, but essentially... There are hallmarks and statements of faiths and liturgies and theological distinctives that mark the Christian faith, um, the evangelical Christian faith. And the Center for Baptist Renewal is committed to retrieving those things for the purpose of renewal in the Baptist church. And so um, obviously these things resonate with a church like ours. Um, with a staff like ours, with elders like ours, and so it was a—it was great to be part of the very first event that they were able to um, host and host it at. I was going to say our alma mater, but you guys, I—I I went there. You went there, um, I've, I've but it is our alma mater because, as Oklahoma Baptists, it is our university, whether you went there or not. So that was so. Anyway, we went to that, and it was. Uh, great time. Yeah, I didn't know what to expect.
0: I uh, posted a Be Real in the middle of it. Gabe was sitting next to me, and uh, one of our other college students goes, well, I didn't get the invite. And I went, I barely remembered we had this today, and I would have invited him. Um, but I didn't really know what to expect. I just, You said, hey, there was this great opportunity for us to go. And so I said, yeah, register me. I'll go. I'm, I'm. And uh, it was really good. And I'm, I'm looking at their website now, and some of the things that they talked about, I had stepped out for a phone call um, for one of the, the sessions. Um, but he talks about um, they envision Baptist churches – uh, that they they hold true to the Holy Scriptures, to the creeds, to the sacraments and the historic Baptist distinctives, and the things that distinctively make us Baptist. This comes on the heels of me last semester taking a Baptist history class where I learned about who we came from, the people that we are, how we got to where we are as Baptists. And so it was really interesting to have just completed this class and have a deep appreciation for that and then to see this foundation trying to get back to some of those principles and bringing churches back into those things that make us distinctively, uh, Baptist, uh, so I, I really enjoyed what I got to stay of it,
2: um. and really in the, in the broader picture of things, the things that give us the distinction of the historical evangelical church, um, because most of these retrievals actually go hundreds of years before we had the Baptist church, mm-hmm. uh, and even before we had the Southern Baptist denomination. And so, you know, the things like Holy Scriptures, creeds, sacraments, those things go to the first century. Most of those things really tie into the first century, second century, third century church, which is long before there was Baptists. And so the idea that I like behind it is that before we were Baptists, we were evangelical. Before we were evangelical, we were the traditional Orthodox Christian church. And so who we are as Baptists can go hundreds of years before those statements of faith, if you will, mm-hmm. um, or those confessions, if you will, um, existed into the more traditional confessions and creeds and distinctives of being Christian first. So, Gary, what were your thoughts? It was good. I enjoyed it.
1: One of the things that um, – so we went to – after lunch, we went to um, a panel with – I do not remember what it was, five pastors that are kind of st- – R- local in around the state and um, we th- listened to how they moved into some of these areas uh, spe- specifically looking at uh, liturgy in the church um, I it was encouraged in in some sense to to go like I, I feel like we're doing we're doing a pretty good job at um, integrating those things and like it, it was check like they this is what we do check mm-hmm. this is what we do check. And uh, we, we've done a good job at, at kind of retrieving some of those things uh, in our corporate worship at Seminole First Baptist.
0: Yeah, I think it would have been hard to come in cold mm-hmm.
1: and not yeah. have any of those practices in place and go, well, this seems... It would have been overwhelming. Yeah. Well, it was overwhelming when we started making those changes right? Like to, to a lot of people in the
0: church. But I think it, it helped us to appreciate more what they're doing and what they're striving for when we see the results of that in our church. I think... The pushback we got, I don't want to say pushback, that's the wrong word, but the questions that we got when we started some of these things, like the scripture reading, the mm-hmm. responsive reading, it was a lot of, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And, and being able to explain that, seeing the benefit of that and seeing where these other churches are as a result of, of that um, uh, liturgy in their churches was had a deeper appreciation at this conference, I think, as I heard these testimonies and these pastors speaking about these things that they're
1: doing. You know, and the the word that they use, the two words, the retrieval and renewal, Mm. um, it's interesting. When you study Baptist history, you find that these things are not foreign to us. It's Mm. it's not just that they existed in the first century church, and then when Baptists came along, we didn't do it at all, and we're retrieving what the early church did. There's the... We, as in, in the early formation of Baptist history. We did these things. I mean, we we held uh, we held to a lot, of, and over the years, um, I don't know all the reasonings, but those things have fallen to the wayside.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why the largest article of explanation they have, both on their website and when they're in discourse through any of these um, CBR platforms, is um, the Baptist Catholicity. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think you have to really distill that down and explain that to people, especially in the 21st century Baptist world, because they do not mean Catholic in the sense of Roman Catholic Church. Catholic, little c, means universal. It means what are those practices, those theological distinctives, those liturgies that have been part of the church as a whole and have stood the test of time and tie into the apostolic age, the New Testament um, birth of the church, that were practices that were healthy, practices that were, and distinctives that were used for the edification of the church universal. Um, And so that Baptist Catholicity is basically taking the early creeds, the early confessions, and the early liturgies and seeing the value in those for the church at large and making the effort to see Baptists retrieve those so that we can be refreshed and renewed by those in the local church today. And I would make the argument that at First Baptist Church of Seminole, those things that are... Ancient Christian practices and distinctives and liturgies that we have retrieved have been for our edification. Mm-hmm. They have been for unification. They have been for they have centered us on the purpose of the church and the mission of the church in a way that mm-hmm. I have not seen in my lifetime. Yeah, I've really come to appreciate
0: a lot of, of, of what we do and, and knowing why we do it and the difference it makes and then to hear the testimonies of people who have visited our church and said, this is what I've been looking for. Mm-hmm. Those that have a history of this liturgical practice to say, this is what I grew up with. This is what I wanted to be a part of. And even those to go, I didn't know this is what I needed in a worship service, but to see the way this church comes together through these practices is super encouraging. And this is the group that I choose to be a part of. Yeah, um, it's It's been really good. Um, so you guys got to go... So we had uh, an opening session that Monday, and then we had a round table discussion. We had several pastors um, sharing some some insight to what they do, how they do it, how they bring this liturgy into their worship services. And then we got to ask some questions uh, about that. And then there was an evening session that you guys got to go to. I had to come back for a meeting, and you guys went to that evening session. What was that evening session like?
2: So the evening session was Dr. Bebbington, who's from Scotland, um, giving a talk or a lecture on what evangelical... Is, what it was, and what it is now. So he defined classical evangelicalism um, going back as far as, I think he really started at the Reformation, um, the retrieval of what would become evangelicalism out of the Reformation, so out of the 16th century, um, its progress through the Great Awakenings into the middle of the 20th century and defining what classical evangelicalism was versus what evangelicalism today. And he wasn't really there to give commentary on the value of evangelicalism, more of the, the history of what evangelicalism is. I thought he did a fantastic job. Um, I was not bored at all <laughs> with any of it. Um, and so Dr. Bevington gave that that talk on... Classical. and I'll just I'll say that he gave that talk, and maybe Garrett can kind of distill down what, what were some of the things that you liked that he talked about with evangel- evangelicalism. So, and I'm I'm maybe misspeak here, but
1: he he came up with the quadrilateral. The, yep. the mm-hmm. he he the four aspects that define um, evangelicalism, and so the the first is I'm gonna get the uh, now the I'm Bible. On spot the the the. the Scripture is held in high regard to evangelicals. The cross um, is um, is a key aspect to evangelicalism. Uh, conversion is the third, and then the fourth is activism. Um, right, activism, just social justice, those those types of things. Basically, mission, <clears throat> mission. Yeah. those those four aspects. Um, are the and he's coming from even through his lecture and he and he mentioned that at some point that that he's not theological in nature with this it's it's academic him looking and saying this from an academic standpoint these things are present now we can discuss and argue about some of the theological sides of that um, but those are the four things that are present in um, evangelicalism um, and and how some of those in the later what we've seen in the 20th century 21st century um some have been more emphasized than others, and he he didn't make a he didn't make a judgment statement on that. Just saying that the different parts. What was interesting to me is that the panel session yeah. afterwards, um, they posed the question to him, "What is the uh, what is the one portion of that? Though they're all four important, what is the one um, that you see as most in danger?" I think that's how they put that most, and uh, he stated that the that the cross was mm-hmm. the most at danger in the north american evangelical scene yeah. that um there's less of an emphasis on the cross on um on penal substitutionary atonement um so and i and i thought he's, yeah he he he, yeah, he went back to the statement
2: the of a church that he either is part of now or was part of that that uh uh, really rests and is centered on Paul's statement of we preach Christ crucified and how uh, a church that—well, going back to those quadrants, you know, uh, we the, the sola scriptura of the Reformation, the retrieval of that Bible distinction, um, how the cross is treated and preached in local churches uh, impacts how conversion is— uh, preached and taught, and the outflowing of testimonies and conversional statements, and then activism. It was interesting because uh, when you when you look at, and I think in the panel they were making the argument that when you look at the twenty first century quote unquote evangelical community, the impact that activism has had on our understanding of conversion. And then on our understanding of the cross, um, what it has done is it has put conversion and the cross, it has faded those into the background Mm. um, by the nature of activism becoming so political. And I don't want to get into all that. uh, I don't want to alienate people, but there is a deep argument over evangelicals being tied so much to politics now versus the Bible, the cross, and conversion.
1: And when he mentioned the church that he—I believe he said it was the church that he attended as a child with that uh, with that statement on— We preach Christ crucified. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me of an H.B. Charles mm-hmm. Jr. Uh, sermon when he talked the about illustration, that. Illustration, yeah. And his illustration was that if, if we don't preach the gospel in its entirety and, and hold Scripture to a, in a high value, that the church that pre- preaches Christ crucified, uh, the ivy grows up, and eventually they just preach Christ— and then the ivy grows up and covers Christ and crucified, and then it's just we preach, and that's not
2: preaching. Mm -hmm. Preaching is preaching Christ crucified. Yeah, yeah. I love that uh, vine illustration over the sign, we preach Christ crucified, that HB uses. And I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, I mean, the place of politics in the local church, in the pulpit can be... Debated, are you I mean, I get that. I'm not saying that pastors, preachers, and evangelicals should be void of the political conversation. Um, but the political conversation is not intended to dominate the uh, mission of the church. Mm. And um, so we have to we have to have a, a balance there. Um, I just love how he broke down. It's it was really helpful for Dr. Bebington to explain that evangelicals, classic evangelicalism, is formed by the Bible, um, proclaimed through the cross, um, uh, distinctive in our understanding of soteriology and conversion and how that works, how we call people into conversion, how that plays out in the evangelical life. And then I actually appreciated how he described activism being, you know, the mission of the church to be in the public square, talking about evangelical things, talking about conversion, talking about the cross, explaining the Bible, and so uh, social justice at its core ought to have the Bible and the cross and conversion at its core, and so uh, I, I found a lot of value in those things that he explained.
1: So that night was not it was not a uh, a church service. He did not what. What Doctor Bevington did was not a sermon; it was just a, a lecture. But what kind of went before that was was a, a, a form of liturgy. Form of liturgy, yeah. and, and it was I th- I think their intention was to show this is going to be common in this kind of liturgical mm-hmm. um, outline of of a service. And so we we went through. I've got the uh, we started with a, a call to worship. Um, I can't read those. Yeah,
0: it says the call to worship uh, Psalm one hundred. Oh. and then song, All People That on Earth Do Dwell. Mm-hmm. And then you went to a corporate confession time led by Matt Boswell, and he's got it written out here, this prayer. Did he pray that? Did you pray that together? Together. together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a corporate confession of sin, and then the assurance of pardon, mm-hmm. Isaiah 118 and Titus 3, 4 3, 7 and then you went into a song, His Mercy is More. Then you recited the Apostles' Creed, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. and then the Lord's Prayer, and then into the lecture.
2: Mm-hmm. And I know, I mean, I know that there are people out there that say, well, that form of liturgy um, is high church. And high church is stuffy. Stuffy. And nobody wants to, you know, we're not going to reach people with high church. And I, let me just speak to that for a moment. Instead of us viewing liturgy as stuffy and uh, a roadblock, if you will, uh, for people. To attend church or come to church, uh, the first thing I would say to that is the church and her liturgy are not designed for lost people. The church and her liturgy is for Christians. That the was, church is for Christians, and her liturgy
0: is for Christians. That was a, a something that you brought up a, a year or two ago that really kind of shattered my perspective on, on mm-hmm. worship service and how can we be attractional? How can we be seeker-sensitive? How can we be the thing that people want to come to? What things can we do? How, how can we reach the world around us through that, through our morning worship service, that being? And then that, that perspective of, hey, this worship service is for the believer. It, it is for God. It is, it, we invite them to come be a part of it, but we, we do not need to be attractional to the world in order to honor God this way,
1: which is very similar to the Old Testament, the, mm-hmm. the, the temple and the practices of the temple were not for the nations; they were for the Israelites. But there was a court of Gentiles mm-hmm. where they asked right. they asked the Gentiles to come, come and see what God has told us. Come mm-hmm. and see what right. God has commanded for us. And so it, they, there is still a a request: come, come and be a part of this. Um, but we can't, we can't exp- we can't expect the world to, to find what they're missing if we look just like the world. Mm-hmm. We, we have to look like who we are. We have to be who we are. And, and we're not um, all those other things. We're not just a good lecture. We're not just a good uh, music uh, concert. We're not just a, a fun community. We're a body of believers who, who agree on certain doctrinal things and certain
2: practices. And, and we have to be who we are. Mm-hmm. And that is attractional. To be the beacon of hope and light to the world that the New Testament calls us to be, you have to be distinctly Christian. And to be distinctly Christian means that what we do when we gather for um, a worship service, for our time together on the Lord's Day, means we need to be distinctly Christian. Because the best way to reach a soul or a world that is seeking Christ, is to be distinctly Christian. And the Scriptures help us do that. And the first century church and the apostolic age and the early church fathers, they help us to be distinctly Christian so that people can get a taste and a window into what that Mm -hmm. hope and light is. And so we unapologetically are formed particularly on our Sunday morning time together on the Lord's Day, to be distinctly Christian. And we, we do that unapologetically, like I said. Um, that, that only forms um, the mission of the church. When we are practicing biblical liturgy and we uphold the integrity of biblical liturgy in our time together, It only helps form our mission to the world. It doesn't corrupt it. It helps shape it. Mm. Um, The urgency to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ is best formed in people when we're doing the things that Christ himself has called us to do and to be. And so that's why we unapologetically take our worship service and center it on God's word, we do things in unison together, we adopt the creeds, we adopt the confessions, um, and we do it for the purpose of being that beacon of hope and light. And I, I took Wednesday night, I got to teach because Nick
1: was over with the youth and I, I looked at the confessions and, and creeds of, and I specifically looked at the confessions of the Baptistic church um, and then the creeds of the church. and. One of the things we talked about is it's why is it important that we collectively um, recite and read these things and learn su- things such as the Apostles' Creed. And we talked about what, where did the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed come from, what was the purpose behind them, and they, they were to combat heresies that, that had come into the church. They were to reaffirm those things that we corporately believe. And so I think uh, Albert Moeller talks in his book, um, the Apostles' Creed, that the, this is the basic that you have to believe. Um, the Apostles' Creed, you have to believe everything in this to call yourself a Christian. Now, we believe more than this, and that's where our confessions come in, but we, you have to believe this. And so it's important because when, you, when, when uh, who was it, the, the Ligonier study that recently went out that says that 40% of those who call themselves evangelicals don't believe in the deity of Christ or the exclusivity of Christ for salvation. Well, that's problematic because you're not an evangelical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you claim it and you claim the name of Christ. You claim to be a Christian, but you don't believe what Scripture says. And those creeds and confessions help us help us distill what Scripture says in in into a an easily memorizable right? I mean the creed is pretty easy to memorize and so we can say this is what we understand. This is what the church has understood Scripture to mean since its inception. And if if you fall with outside of those, then you don't you're not understanding Scripture correctly.
0: When as you look towards all this this liturgy, and I'm looking at this program right here, and this would probably be a pretty typical of some of the churches of the the gentlemen who spoke at our conference, mm-hmm. and even um, Matt Boswell sharing with what they do at their church. Um, what would you say to somebody who's looking at this and going, well, that's not four songs in a sermon that I'm used to on Sunday morning? Like, how is this, how is this different? How is this better than what I'm used to, what we
1: grew up in? I, I mean, I would go back to what I, what I just said, that if the, if, the, if the purpose of the worship service is to edify the saints and to grow us into maturity— um, through the through in all aspects of our worship, that's what we, that's what we say at, at Seminole FBC. That through all the aspects of of our worship, that the that the Word is central in that. That um, it these things are designed and in place to grow us and to mature us for the good works that God has laid out for us. And so, um, we have a biblical. Literacy issue in the church, and these things attack that. Um, it helps us grow in our biblical literacy. It helps us give give us a basis of understanding that we can that we can go back to. Um, and maybe what I mean, I, I'm gonna say this, and this maybe what we've done isn't the best. I mean, sometimes we have to reevaluate and say, are we doing what is most faithful? And there's times that we have to say, no, we need to readjust. Now there. Are other times that we look and say, "Yeah, this is a faithful part of our worship, and we don't need to get rid of it." But
2: um, yeah, I think that one of the things that liturgy helps in the Christian worship in the Christian worship service is um, it removes the spotlight on things that are not distinctly Christian Mm. and puts them on things that are distinctly Christian. So when you're When the congregation is in responsive reading, who is that about? It's not about the reader, so and it's not about the congregation. It's about what we're reading. When we uh, when we say the Lord's prayer together, who who what one person is that about in the worship service? The Lord. The Apostles' Creed. What are we declaring? The apo- are we declaring things about ourselves? Are we putting the spotlight on ourselves, or are we putting the spotlight on those things that are distinctly biblical and Christian? Uh, I will. I'm not afraid to say that the twentieth and the late twentieth and twenty first century church um, has easily become about a, a person or people, and we love spotlights. We just do I mean we can't humans can't sit around and act like we don't love spotlights I mean we just do and if you if you're if you're going to put a spotlight on a person um, there's always if you're going to put a spotlight on stage there's always a person who's happy to jump into that spotlight always and uh, liturgy liturgy protects the congregation from the congregation mm. um, so. Yeah, that was, that was a pretty loaded question. I kind of knew the answer, <laughs> but I just wanted to hear you
0: guys answer. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think liturgy like this takes the the worship focus off me and more of a we together in honoring God um, mm-hmm. type worship service. Because you, you can have an opinion on music, you can have an opinion on hymns, new worship, new hymns, old hymns, but it's kind of hard to have an opinion on Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can be wrong about that, but... Uh, It it kind of changes that perspective of what a
2: worship service should be about and how it's oriented that way. When you're saying back to the Lord what he has already said, yeah, it takes the spotlight off of any person. And it actually helps us, um, uh, maybe what I would say is it checks our conscience and leverages our conscience against Scripture, not preferences and privileges. Mm. Yeah. That's good. and it goes so I, I listened
1: to a podcast and they talked about um, when when this individual was introducing to a church um, about creeds and saying creeds together and he said some people are get uncomfortable and they're like i don't know about that you know us all reading this and he said okay how about i put it to music and then we can sing it and they were like well that he's like right because you do that every week right we sing music corporately saying we all are affirming this and he said the creed is just that same thing but without music and i it, i thought man that's uh, that mm-hmm. was really interesting mm-hmm. um and it's interesting to me that the corporate things um are the things that people love um that we've seen over the past couple of years people have been have in, become um endeared to and so like the doxology at the end it's something that people look forward to and enjoy the corporate singing um when we, when we cut out and you can hear each other sing, um, people like that. They enjoy hearing the congregation sing, um, and I think it's the same way when we when we read our responsive readings, which are all you can see at the end, the like five six different verses. It's it's drawn from scripture. Um, people are actively engaged in that. It's not like they're hesitant. They they enjoy. And there is something comforting, and there is something edifying about collectively saying, "Yes, we all affirm this. We are all in agreement with this," and and it takes away that twentieth, twenty-first century isolationism that we find in America, where it's my faith and what my and mm. it's not. It's corporately. Um, this is what we corporately affirm, not just
2: how I feel about it. Yeah, and I think going back to the Center for Babish Renewal on their. One of their pages on about um, the page that deals with evangelical Baptist Catholicity a manifesto, uh, basically their statements. Um, they almost all of the articles, uh, actually all of the articles start with one of three variations: either we affirm, so it's we corporately we affirm, um, we encourage, or we believe, and that when the church comes together, that's. How the church should operate. We affirm these things. We encourage in this way. We believe these things together. Um, and to an to a to an outside world, looking inside at that context, uh, they see a people who are moving together with the Lord. They see a people who are worshiping together um, to the Lord. Uh, and so, anytime you can remove, you know, those. Areas of a worship service or of anything the church does together and remove the I from it into the we, you know, I capital I into we with a capital W. Um, it's, and as long as it is biblical and grounded in scripture, grounded in the cross, grounded in, you know, uh, those Christian things, uh, it's better for the church. Mm
1: and isn't that the opposite of where society is? I mean mm-hmm. with your with your social media wars, your Twitter wars, the arguments about I mean that's what gets the it's never the here's what here's what we currently believe that gets the the all the likes and the shares. It's the arguments about the things that we disagree with. Mm-hmm. And and if and if Jesus calls his church to be unified, these are areas that we can be unified and we can say these this is we can come together on this. Yeah. They should write a song about that, Come Together,
2: yeah. right now. Yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I just want to encourage people to go for com. Check that out. They've got some podcasts. They've got articles. Um, you can get to the podcast. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll most... link their page
0: yeah. um, in the, the comment section yeah. on this, and so you'll be able to find it there. But, yeah, definitely check that website out and kind of see what they're doing and listen to some of their podcasts. And some of these things, some of these are some really fascinating articles to read. Um, When I looked, when I got to the conference Monday and I was like, or Tuesday, I was like, what is this conference about? And I pulled up their website and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And then as they started to explain it, I'm like, oh, I I totally get it. Um, So it was, it was a great conference. It was a lot of fun to be able to go to and sit with other leaders from our church and um, to have some good discussions. And like you said, to kind of have that moment of going, hey, we're, we're kind of doing this right. And and then other moments to go, hey, we could do this a little better. And hey, I could see the benefit of this uh, Mm -hmm. as we continue to grow. So Mm All right. Well, thanks for the conversation today, gentlemen. Um, so let's end our podcast like we've been ending. It's, it's, it's November. It's really easy to be thankful this month. We've been thankful for a little bit longer than that. So pat ourselves on the back. Um, but heading into this, this season of thankfulness to end our podcast like we, we typically do, what are some things that you're thankful for in our church right now?
2: Somebody asked me this. Uh, who was it? It's one of, Somebody asked me this question. Within the last couple of weeks, what are you most thankful for right now? And, uh, it was me on the podcast. Was it you? <laughs> oh. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it was two weeks ago, exactly. Yeah. No, not really. I, I'm just going to say the thing that I am <clears throat> most thankful for right now in the life of our church is quite simply the genuine spirit of unity that exists. Mm. Yeah. Mine is, um,
1: I my Sunday school class um, and their willingness to to dig deep in scripture and and study and ask hard questions and um, and have robust dialogue. I mean, I, it it I really enjoy. What book it. are you in? Leviticus. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I told them we're going to an easy one next, so it's Jonah after this. Yeah, Jonah. Well, <laughs> Jonah's not bad. It's only, it's only four it's chapters. It's only four so, chapters. Um, I, but it's it is, it's encouraging to see. Um, I mean, we're, we're about 15 people who, um, who when I show up on a Sunday morning, the first question was, I mean, it's, hey, I've been thinking about this this week, or to get texts throughout the week and say, here, I, I went and read this, or I listened to this podcast that discussed um, aspects of Leviticus and just, it's not like they're not just coming to check a box. They're really Mm -hmm. interested in learning Mm -hmm. and digging deep. It's been enjoyable. That's good. So I will um, kind of
0: echo that spirit of unity and and talk about, I'm I'm thankful for our church congregation. Last month was Minister Appreciation, Pastor Appreciation Month, and um, they had collected cards in our foyer, and I got to read through those and see some of the notes and um, as somebody whose love language is, is gifting, it felt good to be appreciated that way. And I uh, received a, uh, some some great cards that, that I've got a box in my office that I keep. It's this mirrored box that my wife bought me. Um, and it's it, I call it my quit box. And it's on those those tough days that you have mm-hmm. in ministry, which are few and far between. I can go back to that box and read these encouragement notes. And so a lot of these notes that I received from our congregation made it into that box this week as I went through and read and said when I'm having that rough day and yeah. I've got that student that's just really trying my patience when I'm having mm-hmm. that day that I feel just super disconnected and I'm scratching my head and I'm going, God, what am I doing here? I can go to that box and find that encouragement that I need. So I'm very thankful for a church that was able to encourage us, um, last month through that. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for the church in that. So, all right, well, that's going to do it here for the words matter podcast, a podcast of FBC Seminole. And we're glad uh, you continue to, to tune in and listen to us. Uh, We look forward to being back to you in a a few weeks. We've got Thanksgiving coming up and a holiday season. We've got a pretty busy holiday season uh, with some church activities and things that are going on. And uh, we look forward to, to giving you guys some updates through some of that stuff. So thank you guys for listening. And don't forget, Words Matter Matter. This has been the Words Matter Podcast, a podcast of FBC Seminole. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.